Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Game Time with Manny. Uh, it's a couple days late, about a week late. Uh, I've been sick and I've been kind of busy with work and stuff, so that is why this is a little bit late. And I couldn't really think of a topic, but one finally came to mind, and that is crowdfunding in video games. Um, over the course of like the past, I don't know, five-ish years, um it's become a lot more prolific for developers to get funding for their games from the people who theoretically would be buying their games as opposed to pitching their ideas to a publisher and having the publisher reject the ideas because they don't think a lot of people would buy it. Um, there have been varying degrees of success with this over the years through various uh, crowdfunding websites. Kickstarter is the main one, the main one I know about. But then there's other ones like Indiegogo that uh, companies sometimes use as well. And now there's uh, Fig, which allows you to theoretically become an investor in the game if it does well. And we'll discuss all of these a little bit in specific Kickstarter projects. I... Do not profess to be any type of expert on this subject, but I do know a little bit, and I have funded a few projects of my own. Uh, so I'll just talk about that for a little bit. And without further ado, it's game time. Okay, so I, I have mixed feelings on Kickstarter, especially now. Um, in the beginning, when it first uh, kind of blew up, I thought it was really cool, and now I have a lot of skepticism about it, and that's because it doesn't always work out as intended. So I, when I first heard about Kickstarter... Probably in like 2011, 2012, um, when the smartwatch, the Pebble, was on there. I saw a lot of people funding the Pebble, which is interesting because, I mean, it was like one of the first smartwatch concepts. And uh, it got funded uh, by a large amount. And then I guess that should have been the first warning sign that not all Kickstarters are successful because... It took some excruciatingly long amount of time, if I remember correctly, for backers to actually get that product. Uh, I know it went through a lot of trouble. But f for video games, I I'm sure someone could correct me and I'm wrong about this, but the first one that I specifically remember getting huge and getting a lot of coverage was the Double Fine Adventure game. Um, now, th this could just be f from my perspective because I... Am a huge Tim Schafer fan. Um, Grim Fandango, one of my favorite adventure games of all time, one of my favorite games of all time, period. Um, and I think he did a, a lot of other good work with Double Fine uh, after that. I mean, he started off at LucasArts and then went to Double Fine to continue doing what he did best. They made Psychonauts. Uh, they did this game, the Double Fine Adventure, which ended up being called Broken Age. Uh, stacking, ton, tons of stuff. I mean, just go look up Double Fine. I, I like them a lot. But Basically, adventure games, like uh, point-and-click adventure games of old, had kind of fallen to the wayside because they're very story-driven and they don't technically have a lot of, like, 
game quote-unquote content in there um and it's more just like solving puzzles and listening to dialogue which i love because i love uh i love story and characterization and stuff like that in video games like that's my favorite part of playing most video games and tim schafer was really good at that so most of the time publisher publishers uh developers will have to pitch their games to publishers right so like i'm trying to think double fine did uh brutal legend the game where it was like a rts mixed with a third person action game about uh, heavy metal and rock and roll right and they they double fine were developing it but they needed someone to front a bunch of money so that they could continue development which is how most video games come to fruition um and they got into some weird trouble because they originally had shopped to thq and i believe then they had had some weird rights issues and ended up being published by ea but that's generally what you have to do is you shop a game or an idea to a publisher if you are not like employed by that publisher and so that's one of the things that happens is like people will have an idea for a game they'll pitch it and it just won't get accepted because the publisher doesn't think that there is enough money in that idea or they don't think that uh the developer will be able to make it on the budget that they need them to make it on uh there's all there's all kinds of factors and stuff like that would happen so i mean it's one of the reasons why adventure games had kind of fallen to the wayside is because publishers didn't think that they were really going to be able to make a whole lot of money doing that which i actually now that i think about it that seems kind of crazy because that's what telltale games are right they're just episodic adventure games and they they're doing it they're making all the cash they're making all the licensed properties so i guess yeah i don't know maybe uh, telltale games had been coming out at around the time i don't know whatever but double fine adventure game was the one of the the first kickstarter for video games that was huge that i remember and they put it up and it must have been like April, um, and it was had like about a month to get funded. They were requesting four hundred thousand dollars total, um, and they ended up getting an insane amount more money than that. They ended with three million three hundred thirty-six thousand three hundred seventy-one dollars, and that's crazy. Um, but they did have a lot of trouble. So Double Fine was very excited because they were able to make the adventure game that they had been wanting to make forever. Tim Schafer was allowed to create new characters and make a new point-and-click adventure in 2012. Like, he was he was going to do that. Uh, and this is where it gets a little dicey, is because you back a Kickstarter expecting a game, right? But what a lot of people don't think about is game development takes a long time. They, Double Fine, didn't have the money to make this game, which is why they were coming to the general public, because people will always say, like, oh, I would pay whatever amount for this game, I would pay so much for this, and Double Fine was basically like, okay, everybody who likes point-and-click adventure games, put your money where your mouth is, because you can put any amount of money down on a Kickstarter that you want, uh, but there are reward tiers, so, like, it depends on the game and what you get, but there are, like, super high reward tiers for, like, $10,000. You could have your voice and likeness in the game or, like, have dinner with the development team, but then there are, like, the more realistic ones for, like, 
between one and five bucks where it's like, oh, just get your name in the credits. And then there's ones for 20 where it's like you get the game when it comes out. Um, and that's generally the one I personally back at is the ones that are around like 25 to $60, depending on what type of game it is to be able to just get the game when it comes out or have slightly early access to it. Uh, I think the only one that I actually backed at a $60 tier was Koji Igarashi's new game. Uh, he's basically making like a spiritual successor to Symphony of the Night, and I wanted a physical copy of that, but we'll talk about that later. So, so regardless, Double Fine made a buttload of money, right? But they don't have any of the game developed. They just have some proof of concepts to show you in order to get you hype for an adventure game so what people don't realize is it's probably going to take anywhere between two to three to five years for a game to come out on kickstarter and i think that's what really threw a lot of people off initially but double fine then had some more issues where they had uh, financial troubles and they ended up having to split the game into two parts so part one ended up coming out on january 28th of 2014 which is like two years almost after the kickstarter had ended and then the second part ended up coming out april 28th 2015 which is like almost a year a little bit more than a year after the first part and personally i played the first part i really liked it i played the beginning of the second part and then for some reason i just kind of fell off but i really liked the first part and i liked the ending um but it's one of those things where the game wasn't that long even if you combined both parts right and so I think that is another thing that really trips a lot of people up about Kickstarter is, to, to be quite honest, most people don't understand how much it costs to make a video game, right? So think about it. Double Fine was asking for $400,000 initially to make the Double Fine Adventure game, which they ended up calling Broken Age. Um, and they had financial troubles with that, even though they blew past their goal with over $3 million, right? $400,000 is going to make you a very small game. And Double Fine is a studio where they employ many people. They have to pay their salaries. You have to take into account they have to do QA testing on the game. They have to hire voice actors for said game if it's voiced. They have to design the game, theoretically possibly make an engine. Um, they have to manufacture rewards like if there were any kind of physical rewards for the kickstarter they have to press the t-shirts they have to ship them uh, if there was any kind of other rewards they would have to once again make them and ship them uh, they have to pay money for certification if they're gonna put it out on ps4 or like a console as opposed to pc there there is a lot going into it so four hundred thousand dollars is a very small asking price and there's not a lot they could do with that. I mean, it was going to be a small-scale game, but I think that is something that a lot of people did not understand because people are thinking about what adventure games used to be like and when they used to have a much larger budget. But take into account when Grim Fandango was made in 1998, they had a lot more resources behind them for that kind of thing, and the game was also theoretically going to sell a lot better then. Whereas now, with price changes and things like that, uh, inflation, all kinds of fluctuation in markets and things like that, money isn't worth the same anymore, right? 
Uh, so costs are just drastically different. It's You can't make the same type of game you used to be able to make back then with the same amount of money. It's just not real. That's, that's not a possibility. And I people got upset about the Double Fine Adventure Kickstarter, and I... I'm of both minds of that, see, because I knew what to expect because I I know a lot about video games, we'll just say that, and I am very cognizant that it costs a lot to make a video game, and there are real people making it, they can't work 24 hours a day around the clock, you might not necessarily be able to get it on time, and that's one of the things that is kind of weird about Kickstarters is because when a developer is making a game for a publisher, the publisher gives them a date. They have milestones. They have to hit it by then. But when you're on Kickstarter, your publisher is technically your backers, right? So you only have to answer to them. Theoretically, they'll just get angry. It doesn't really make a difference when you get the game out. I mean, it does because you'll get a lot of bad press and things like that, but it's harder to keep to a date. And I think that Double Fine learned that the hard way. And what is really cool is they documented the whole process in a documentary done by Two Player Productions. And they they filmed most of the whole process of them going through all the financial issues, all the development. It is one of the most eye-opening things about video game development that I personally have ever seen. So if you can look up the Double Fine Adventure documentary on YouTube, they actually put it out for everyone to see on YouTube. It is incredible. Like, if you want to have an eye-opening experience about what it's like for a small developer to publish a game, it's, it's awesome to see. You get to see those people who are so passionate about this project work themselves to the point of exhaustion... Uh, you get to see them work through all the financial troubles, what it's like to actually come up with ideas and make a game of this uh, of a small scale, theoretically, and it takes years to do. And people, in general, society just has a feeling that they need instant gratification nowadays, and that's just not how video games work. And it's a bummer to see because you can see these people putting their heart and soul into this project, right? Because they know that people put a lot of money into it and they want to see a good product come out of it. And I mean, in the documentary, they never really got into people giving like negative comments and stuff like that. But I I would imagine that that would take a toll on you uh, as as a developer. And what is crazy is... I think Double Fine did an excellent job at giving feedback and communicating with the backers. So this is, despite the fact that there were all kinds of troubles and people didn't understand where the money was going and why Double Fine needed to end up getting more money from a publisher because of this, um, other Kickstarters that I personally have backed have not done the same thing, and I, I can get into that in a little bit. But they were very open. I mean, and they were there was a there's a documentary about the whole thing. It's ridiculous. People people can go watch that. And if anyone still has complaints, I mean, that's that's your own thing. But it's it's fascinating to watch. I highly recommend it. And so that is that is what happened with the Double Fine Adventure Kickstarter, and that opened the floodgates for many many other developers to. Uh, try to fund their games. I mean, like, there are, there are people out there who have a dream idea for a game that theoretically sounds wicked cool, and they 
they want it to come to fruition and they don't necessarily have the funds or the money, but if they put it up on Kickstarter and enough people like it, they might be able to quit their job and use that money to fund their passion project. And I, I think that that is super, super cool. Uh, but like I said, it, it can go, it can go both ways. So I, I picked a couple of notable Kickstarters that I personally remember uh, coming out and being successful. Uh, two of them, I, I picked two, because these are two games that I absolutely loved, but I personally did not back on Kickstarter. So, the first one that I, I remember coming out and people being like, oh yeah, this was originally on Kickstarter, was Shovel Knight. Which is like, uh, I don't know, it's like paying homage to classic Mega Man games. You play as a Shovel Knight, it's a 2D side-scroller, and it it, it was a very excellent game. It was very polished. Uh, they asked for $75,000, and they ended up with $311,502. And, like, that's not uh, anything super crazy. Uh, but they ended up surpassing their goal by, like, what, like three, four times? And I actually just recently listened to an episode of the 8-4 Play podcast, which is 8-4 is a localization company in Japan with the likes of Mark McDonald and John Ricciardi. Uh, they used to write for EGM, but now they, they translate games and they do Monster Hunter and all kinds of stuff. So I guess check out their podcast because it's pretty dope. But I was, I was catching up on a backlog from around, oh, January of... 2016 I believe and they had the guys who developed Shovel Knight from Yacht Club Games uh, on and they talked about they talked about Shovel Knight and how it was developed so those guys originally worked for WayForward Games um, which they do a lot of licensed games I think they make Shantae which they just, just they just put out a recent Shantae game uh, but they, they decided that they wanted to make their own game and so a bunch of them broke off from WayForward started Yacht Club Games and opened a Kickstarter for Shovel Knight, and they, <laughs> they took longer than they thought, uh, they had, like, rationed out the money on how they could do it, and, um, what they would be able to eat, and they ended up, like, not making their goal, so they were talking about how they ended up eating, like, ramen, basically, most of the time, uh, like a college student budget, because they, they had, like, very little money while they were working on this passion project, um, but then that's one of those things where the game came out and it was, I think Shovel Knight is incredible. If you haven't played Shovel Knight, it is a super awesome homage to old 2D side scrollers and it's just awesome music. It plays like a dream. It, it's great. But these guys gave up a lot to work on Shovel Knight. Uh, there was actually, one of them was telling a story about how they got back from like PAX or something and showing the game and they, uh... <laughs> they tried to buy creamer at a 7-Eleven and their credit card was declined, their debit card was declined and they couldn't end up buying creamer just because they had so little money to work with. And that, that, that kind of stuff is crazy. I, it's very cool that people can do that kind of thing now and make indie games and get it funded on Kickstarter. And Sh Shovel Knight blew up. I mean, it, it sold far more than the amount of people who bought it on Kickstarter, because it was originally just on PC, 3DS, and Wii U. Now it's on PS4. Now it is on Xbox One. And they are updating it. There are more playable characters. There are new campaigns. It's crazy. They're supporting it. And they... 
basically they threw everything they had if they weren't able to make shovel knight they were basically done they were gonna have to stop and ended up coming out and blowing up and they they succeeded so shovel knight is one of those ones that i think like they didn't really have troubles other than personal troubles and i i think that's awesome i think they were able to do it and then the other one that i chose to talk about is undertale (laughs) which i did a podcast about undertale and everybody knows how much i love it but what's crazy is toby fox creator of undertale his goal to make undertale five hundred dollars that is so small and he ended up doing it with fifty one thousand one hundred and twenty four dollars is what he made on kickstarter now i i didn't know a lot about this kickstarter i had never even heard of it until right when it came out but now it has blown up. It won, like, the world's best game on GameFAQ's game poll. The community is something else. There's a lot of fan art. You can find all kinds of Undertale stuff on the internet. And, it, like, it's beloved. Like, it, it was funded, and it just it came out, and it blew everyone's minds. And, like, that's the kind of stuff that Kickstarter helps to create. And if the person who made the Kickstarter is able to communicate properly and give updates, like, it works. It just works. But then you have things like the train wreck I just finished a couple weeks ago, Mighty Number 9. And this is where I feel like Kickstarter fails on a lot of levels. So the first one I talked about, Double Fine Adventure, you have a well-known name, Tim Schafer. He was known for making all kinds of stuff, and people wanted to support him. The same thing happened with Mighty Number no. 9, except on a way bigger scale. Like, you say Tim Schafer, some people are going to know who you're talking about. You say Keiji Inafune. Almost everyone who knows anything about video games is going to know who you're talking about. He is the creator of Mega Man. He worked at Capcom for many years. He is credited as the father of Mega Man, even though he claims he didn't actually create Mega Man. W- whatever, we're not going to get into that. He- he's the father of Mega Man, right? And so when he comes out after he leaves Capcom and says, Hey, I need $900,000 on Kickstarter so I can make a new Mega Man-like game. People flocked to that. People were like, yo, what? Mighty Number 9? It's gonna be just like Mega Man. I love Mega Man. I think Keiji Inafune is a great creator. This is going to be dope. They asked for $900,000. They ended with $4,031,550. Over four times their goal. That was in 2013. We are in 2016 now, three years later, okay? Uh, It came out June 21st. This game had so many delays, it was bananas. I wish I had looked up the delays, but I did not, so... Yeah, there were multiple delays, it was ridiculous. I, I, I don't even know where to begin with this game. So... You would think that Keiji Inafune, having made so many Mega Man games, would be able to make a solid Mega Man-like game, right? Mighty Number no. 9, you may have heard, uh, was universally panned by critics when it came out. Uh, I, the highest score I saw was like a 5.6 out of 10, which is insane. Uh, 
it, it was it was crazy and it just doesn't play well it looks like a game made in uh, the ps2 era it's ridiculous and just none of, none of this was really communicated they they made so much money off of this and i get it Video games are hard. I can't develop a video game, so I, I theoretically I shouldn't be criticizing this at all. But the communication with this Kickstarter has been so piss poor from the very beginning that it is mind blowing. With all the delays, with uh, and what I, what I think happened was they bit off more than they could chew. They thought that they could do more with what they had, and they just could not. Um, so what you get in the end is a game that comes out that is trying to be Mega Man, but feels like a soulless Mega Man clone, with bad voice acting, uh, gameplay that feels great sometimes, and then other times is horrendous, with frame drops on a game that looks like a PS2 game. It's, it's crazy that, that this game was allowed to come out, and I think with more time for polish, which is crazy, because it was delayed so many times, uh... It could have been something really special, and I hope that they are allowed to make a second one so that they can polish on this and turn this piece of coal into a diamond. I, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. But it's just... You would expect Inafune to be able to deliver a product that is what people were looking for, and I feel like that just didn't happen. And now one of the reasons that could possibly be, like I said, I think they bit off more than they could chew, is one thing Kickstarters do is stretch goals. So they asked for $900,000, but they had a bunch of stretch goals to get it on more platforms. So like say they reached like a million dollars, they were going to put it on another platform or they were going to add voice acting or more. And so they got, they did a billion stretch goals and they were just adding things on and on. And they ended up with, I believe, 10 different versions of this game and for some reason i i'm not a video game developer expert as i have said previously normally what you would do if you're making 10 versions of a game which once again is bananas why would you make that many versions of a game is you make one version and then you port it to the all the others what they ended up doing for some reason is simultaneously developing 10 different versions of this game why why would you do that? It's going to take you so much longer. Polish one, port it over, fix the bugs with the port. I, d I, d I don't get it. And so, like, I feel like Mighty Number no. 9 has tarnished the reputation of Kickstarter in a way that I, I, I don't really know that you can... I, I don't know. I've seen I've seen so many people say that they will never back another Kickstarter project again because of this, and I personally don't blame them. But it's one of those things where you take a look at things like Shovel Knight and Undertale from these generally unknown creators who were allowed to do something spectacular with the money they were given, or like new games coming out like uh, Ukulele, which is like a homage to Banjo Kazooie and old Rare games. Like that, people are doing good things on Kickstarter. I just think that Mighty Number no. 9's Kickstarter was mismanaged so poorly that it just reflects badly on the, all these other games, and I think that is a huge bummer. Um, and e even then, it, it could just be a one-off situation, because, like, Keiji Inafune theoretically is a great creator, right? 
But then there are other greats, like I mentioned earlier, like Koji Igarashi, who worked on a lot of the early Castlevania games, and he just did a Kickstarter for a spiritual successor to a Castlevania game. And that went well. I He put out a demo for backers to play. I played that. I think it plays really well. So if the finished product is like this, then I will be very excited. So I, I, I don't know. Things, things happen. I get it. I just, Mighty Number no. 9 came out so poorly, and I, it makes me sad when people say that they will no longer back games on Kickstarter, because there is some killer stuff there, and I think that everyone deserves a chance. So it's one of the things where, use your discretion, uh, put your money where your mouth is. You have to pick product projects that you think are going to succeed or if it's a smaller project like someone that you think you can believe in because they're communicating all this stuff that you believe in it's tough it, it's a tough thing to do and so to, to finish this off i'm just going to talk about how uh video games cost a lot more than people think that they cost and so this one doesn't come from kickstarter it comes from indiegogo so Lab Zero, they uh, were an indie studio. They made the indie fighting game Skullgirls. They put it out. It was published by Warner Brothers, I believe. But some some deal fell through with Warner Brothers, and it was harder for them to work with them, and they ended up just going full full indie. Um, and they, they started an Indiegogo for uh, more characters to be added to the game. Then if you play fighting games, you know, characters are the bread and butter. They are the game. They're the whole thing. And so they, they put it up and they were basically asking for $150,000 for a character. And people were raging. People were freaking out saying $150,000 for a character. This is highway robbery. This is bullshit. There's no way you need that much money to uh, make one fighting game character. And Lab Zero, as all good crowdfunding campaigns should do, was immensely transparent. They put up a pie chart and then listed out why it was going to cost them $150,000 for a single character. So here... I will read off this list. $48,000 staff salaries, 8 people for 10 weeks. $30,000 animation and cleanup contracting. $4,000 voice recording. $2,000 hitbox contracting. $5,000 audio implementation contracting. $20,000 QA testing. $10,000 first party certification. $10,500 Indiegogo and payment processing fees because do not forget that while these crowdfunding campaigns do make a lot of money, Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever crowdfunding thing you are going through takes a cut off the top, otherwise they would no longer be in business. They have to make a cut off that. And then the final one, $20,500 manufacturing and shipping of physical rewards. So I was talking about the Double Fine Adventure. It takes, you gotta pay for that stuff. You can't just, like, materialize a t-shirt. It comes out of the cost that you are raising. And so, like, this 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 made me so happy because people were losing their brains. And I saw a lot of articles about this and people saying, no, I still think it's bullshit. Like, what people forget sometimes is that video games don't just churn out of a factory, right? Like, it's not a bunch of robots making them. There are real people sitting at computers for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, 
possibly more if they're like trying to crunch and get the game done on time there are real people that have families that are making the game that you want to play a reality and kickstarter has made that more apparent i guess because like you got undertale that that's a dude toby fox he wants to make a game you know he's making that game but when it's a bigger studio you sometimes people forget that like there are people involved and that's why sometimes when you see heinous shit being slung at all these kickstarters or whatever it's like yeah they're people too and i i even felt bad i was watching the mighty number nine uh kickstarter launch stream where uh ben judd was talking to inafune and that dude just he looked so sad um in in a way that was crazy like he just seemed disappointed with the product they had made overall and i mean i i don't know i can't necessarily speak japanese but it just seemed like they had they had gone through a lot of issues and he seemed really sad about it and like that's a bummer like i i I backed mighty number nine right i there was never a point where i was like man i want this game to come out and i want it to suck of course i wanted it to be good and it just didn't turn out that way and like that sucks because i bet you inafune didn't want to make a terrible game you know what i mean no one i I don't think anyone really sets out and is like i'm gonna make the shittiest game possible i want to make everyone who helped me fund this game feel cheated like I, i don't think anyone goes into it doing that and so that's re- that's really all I that's really all I have to say. I hope that maybe you learned a little bit more about Kickstarter and how it works or just crowdfunding campaigns in general. And you got to be discerning, right? Uh like I backed a game called Mansion Lord uh and I still don't have it and never will because the guy ran off with the money and took it forever. So I'm out 20 bucks forever. But I did that a long time ago. There've actually been multiple news articles about it. Uh, but like stuff like that can happen, so you just have to you have to look into the people who are making your game. You got to make sure they're real people. You have to just use as much of your brain as you possibly can, and hopefully you settle on something that you can believe in, that you think is really cool. And as I have said, Undertale was really dope. Shovel Knight was really dope. Skullgirls DLC characters ended up being really dope. Uh, I personally, right now, I have backed a bunch of games on Kickstarter. Let's let's actually before we before I close this out, let me pull up the Kickstarter app here on my phone, and I will uh, check out what I personally have backed right now. I also I I back things other than video games sometimes. I know it's hard to believe because I'm all about the video games, uh, but I. I just the just the other day I backed a video game Inkfell, which is like a weird RPG that um is about like basically like wizard school. Uh, I, I that looks really cool. It's got people who did music for Steven Universe working on it. Like yeah, I'm in on that. Back Shenmue three, obviously because I want to see what they can possibly do with Shenmue. Talked about Bloodstained, Koji Igarashi's game. Very excited about that. Uh. For some reason, they wanted to make a new Toe Jam and Earl game. I threw him some money for that. I want to see what a new Toe Jam and Earl is like. Uh, I Amplitude. I backed the new version of Amplitude. That wasn't that great, but, you know, th- things happen. Uh, I backed Mighty Number no. 9, as I said. I backed the Double Fine Adventure. I mean, I think it's cool that I can put my money where my mouth is. I want to see a bunch of different types of games. I will put my money down on it. And hopefully I will see a return. I understand that it's not a hundred percent guarantee, but you know I 
I have faith. I don't think that Mighty Number no. 9 has ruined crowdfunding for video games. I just think that it has put the onus on people who make new Kickstarters to communicate much better than they were previously. And so that's all I got. That's all my rambling for this month. Thank you very much for listening. As always, I have to say, our theme song is the song Sting Operation by the band Anamanaguchi. Wonderful wonderful chiptune band you should really check them out thank you very much for listening i will see you guys next month peace out